Well, while they're heading out, uh, I just want to wish you all a happy new year. Uh, Yeah, this is our first Sunday of 2024. Does anybody have a new year's resolution? Anybody? Nobody? That one back there? Yeah. Excited about it? No? Yeah. The rest of you are like, it's 2024. Are you kidding me? We told you all to get one of those MCT calendars. Uh, There's still an opportunity. Uh, I'm sure Jason will tell you about it. There may be a couple of elbows flying right now. Well, here we are. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I mentioned one of, being one of the pastoral candidates, uh, you know, looking to, to join the team. Um, you all heard me butcher uh, announcements last week, so you know I've got a gift there. Um, <laughs> and a lot of you may know that I enjoy soccer. I realize it's a problem. Uh, I'm working through those things. Um, but you may not know uh, much about my connection to missions, uh, or that Sarah and I met through missions, and that was how we got connected with Antioch at first. And I just want to share a little bit of my story uh, before we get into the Word as it connects with this passage. Back in 2008, I was a new follower of Jesus, uh, and our Lord called me to sell everything that I owned uh, and move to Cape Town, South Africa. I sold my thriving business, my first ever car, everything that I owned, all my furniture, everything that I had accumulated over 27 years of life, down to a suitcase and a backpack. That's it. Um, and they were mostly filled with pretty practical things, uh, including clothes and toilet paper. <laughs> you know, can you imagine, you know, what in your life would you squeeze into two bags on a one-way trip to a new country, not knowing how long you were going to be there? I could be living in a hut. I might not have running water. I might share a room with a large group. I had no idea what I was walking into. No keys, no professional identity. There was nothing. Has anybody ever been in a situation just so intense, out of your control, that it left you feeling pretty lost? Maybe you were thrust into a new job or pulled uh, from a job and and not knowing what was next for you, where it would take you. You had no idea what you're doing with your life or how, how to prepare for your current situation. I know for me, I was overwhelmed. But if he was calling me, how could I say no? How could I say no to the God of the universe? I was unmarried. I had no kids. I hadn't met Sarah yet. No one in my family was a believer. I was alone, and I had no one else to go to. But I was leaning into this new faith in a very big God, even though I was terrified. In our passage today, Jesus' disciples have left everything to follow him. They're faced with that decision as thousands are abandoning following Christ. The majority of those disciples turn away from this hard message of truth to return to their normal lives. And it's the remaining 12 that have to wrestle with that choice of who they're following. So let's get into it. Please open your Bibles with me to John 6, 60 through 71, which you can find on page 892 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. The title of my sermon today is The One Who is Worthy of Worship. And my main point is Jesus is worthy of worship, displayed through two subpoints. The first, Jesus is worthy of worship because he's more valuable than anything on earth. The second is that Jesus is worthy of worship as your personal Savior. With that said, if you're physically able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And if you're not able to stand, we would just ask that you please take a posture of reverence in your heart. Ryan is going to read our passage this morning, and it is again John 6, 60 
through 71. Church, hear the word of the Lord. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a huge and hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are of spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were and did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's respond to God's word, church. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Thanks, brother. So that leads us into our first point today. Jesus is worthy of worship because he's more valuable than anything on earth. Let me set the scene for this passage real quick. Uh, John 6 begins as Jesus feeds the 5,000. He cares for hungry people. He's very intentional in this miracle, though. He asked Philip, how much would it cost to buy all of that food to feed those 5,000? Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples not just provide food. He feeds a crowd, then he withdraws. Right after that, he walks on water again, teaching his disciples, and then just disappears. He withdraws from them once again. It's the crowd who enters their boat and pursue Jesus. You can almost sense that childlike experience, that, 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 that they experience something following Jesus, and they want more. They want more. And they're really losing sight of him. Probably many of our parents know that feeling, right? Like, I just want five minutes more on the devices. I just want one more piece of candy. I just want one more fill-in-the-blank. What is their thing? And you might be tempted to want to disappear yourselves at times. Maybe you do. <laughs> um, and, I, and I wonder, as you all think about that, have you ever experienced Jesus providing for you in a special way and then seemingly vanished or withdrawn? That difficult situation that you're dealing with, maybe it's a difficult person in your life, it's suddenly removed that answer to prayer. Maybe it allows us to breathe, that situation, that struggle that we're having. And then we turn and we feel like God just he isn't there to catch us or carry us into that next step, that next place that we're headed. It's a, fear, a feeling that is shared in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. As the psalmist says in chapter 10, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Peter and the rest of the disciples have left everything. Probably felt this as Jesus kept disappearing during these different times in their walk and following him. I know I very, very much felt that way as I was getting ready to travel overseas. I had a plane ticket dated for two weeks away. I still knew nobody in Cape Town. I had no visa. I couldn't actually get into the country <laughs> that I had bought a ticket to. I had no income. I had no financial support. And I kept grumbling with God. Why wouldn't he just give me a place to stay? Why wouldn't he make it easy for me? Give me that peace Why wasn't he providing the way I wanted him to? Telling the story the way I wanted to write it. Jesus tells the crowd, 
in John 6.35 that he is enough. They should, should be satisfied with his relationship and the worship of their God. That should be enough. He then tells them that their ancestors ate bread and, de- and died. Bread is not enough. This is a very specific and offensive reference to this group. Jesus is saying that he is a more complete provision compared to God's miracle provision of manna in the desert. And back then, by the way, Israelites were also complaining (laughs) about God's lack of provision. They were wishing they were back in captivity in Egypt. They They wanted food so badly they would have given up their freedom, returned to the brutal experience of slavery for it. And they lost sight of trusting God, the God that they worshipped. And generationally, here in John, we hear that not much has changed. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably not so different. That's where we pick up today in our verse. That pursuing crowd has tracked Jesus down once again. They're all pumped up. They are excited from all these miracles that they've experienced, that they've seen. They're like Michigan fans after defeating Alabama in the Rose Bowl. They are out of their mind. They are excited. They want to be close to the players. They want to be close to the action. You you may have seen scenes of them rushing the field. And the disciples would have felt that energy. They would have felt like they had a Michigan Wolverine jersey on. Like Chris Jenkins here. He he is excited. Uh, He's excited about his experience. He's excited about the sacrifices that he made as a player, as his family made, as he celebrates with his mom this major bowl victory. And that's just football, guys. The disciples must have felt pretty special in this moment. Uh, the crowd is excited. They are, they're pressing in to this guy that they have given everything up for, these worldly things that they have given everything up for. And can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine feeling like those disciples? Philip said it would have taken half of a year's wages to feed that group of 5,000. Half of your annual salary worth of food. Walking all over the south end, just handing it out. It would have felt great. You get a loaf of bread, you get a loaf of bread, you get a loaf of bread. (laughs) But they were making an idol out of his works and not seeing Jesus as the one to worship. And when Jesus points this out, the mood changes. You know, can can you imagine being in that football stadium full of Alabama and Michigan fans and telling them football doesn't matter? (laughs) Can you imagine the reaction of, of those Alabama fans, of those Michigan fans? And in verse 60, the large crowd of disciples say to him, this is hard. Who can listen to this? And Jesus tells us and responds to them, are you offended? Because he knows that he is showing us and that the group understands, but they're offended by the message. They're offended to hear that Jesus is enough. A Messiah that would suffer for them? That didn't meet their expectations of who a Messiah was. The crowd knew his mother and his father. They knew where he grew up. They knew his humble beginnings that we just celebrated two weeks ago. That can't be a savior. As Robbie said a few weeks ago, they wanted Thor. They're troubled by Captain America and Jesus' message and are not satisfied with him. The late Tim Keller said, you don't get to decide to worship. Everybody worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. Here in John 6, he is graciously reminding us of who he is. See, he's the author of my life in the good times that I perceive as worthy to be worshipped, as good and easy.
but he's also the author of my life in the bad times that I perceive as challenging. And he's not yet finished writing your story. He has not put the pen down and forgotten you in those hard moments. He is inviting us joyfully to worship him in the midst of any situation that we're walking through. And he follows that up in verse 63. He says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. He's reminding them here that on their own, they will not be able to experience this new life. That apart from the Spirit, causing them to understand, they're not going to know this new life. It's the Spirit that gives life. Life itself only comes from God, and all those gifts are from Him. After he acknowledges that not everybody is going to believe, he says in verse 65, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. He's reminding them that their salvation is intact because of God. And that's the one we should be worshiping. And Jesus has modeled this all chapter long. You see, all of that retreating, every time that he was disappearing, he was going to spend alone time with his Father. He was teaching us how to value that relationship. We don't want to be people that desire a genie in the bottle, take our requests. God, just keep giving me what I ask for. Maybe some days we feel that way. But we're not that good of writers. <laughs> in the end, that's not going to end well. The Israelites wanted to go back to slavery into Egypt. <laughs> they were choosing that over the, the beautiful story that God was writing. They were writing a terrible story for themselves. Our response should be like the humble tax collector in Luke 18. Humbly worship, humble worship in the simplicity of begging for God's mercy and grace regardless of our circumstances. Worshiping him as he invites and enables us to come to him. Here Jesus was reminding his disciples of the good news that they have eternal life. And he reminds them they will not get to heaven through the things of this world or their own actions, but by the Father through Jesus, who has invited them to the table. And they can begin to celebrate eternity right now in this life. And that brings me to my second point. Jesus is worthy of worship as, our, as your personal Savior. Let's get back to John. So in verse 66, we see the crowd's response to his message. It's immediately after these words of truth that many disciples turn their backs and they stop following Jesus. In the book 12 Ordinary Men, the author MacArthur points out how poor of a marketing strategy this is for Jesus, choosing to emphasize a controversial point and bet lean the future of his church on 12 ordinary guys instead of leveraging that mob force that he had and that massive following that he had. But here, after the crowd scatters, Jesus turns to his family group his closest disciple. This is the first time in John that he refers to them as the 12, his guys that have been following him all along. And he invites them to self-reflect on their faith. This message was not for that lukewarm crowd. And he asks it, do you want to leave too? Why does Jesus ask this of his guys? They have given everything that they've owned They've given it all up. How could he ask that question of these guys who have sacrificed so much and not walked away like the rest of the crowd? But see, I don't, I don't think Jesus is doubting them here. 
His question wasn't, could they handle the burden? He knows that answer. They can't. Without him, they would have followed the large crowd. They weren't there on their own strength. He knew that, and he had just told them that. Not only did the Father draw them, but he also sustained them in that tough time. These guys have left everything to follow Jesus. They had just seen Jesus perform miracles. They had seen his power. It was clear to them just like it was to the crowd. But Jesus is asking them, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of this difficult message, are they going to stay with their Savior? When all the miracles weren't happening, when all that energy, you know, when, 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 when the game is over and, and the confetti has fallen, where would they stand? And he had already spoken truth. But he asked them, would they worship him still? And I think you feel the weight of that as Peter responds in verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is Peter. He's a disciple who is always action-oriented, always has something to say. He's a man of action. He's the first one out of the boat to walk on water. Let me get out on the water with you. He's the one who commits to not denying Jesus. I'll die before I deny you. Peter says. He's a man of action, spokesman for the twelve. But here, you just, you just sense, you feel the tone is a little different from this guy, Peter. Where else would we go? Peter's still leading. He's still the first one to speak. But, but you sense that humility in him. Maybe a little bit more Peter than Simon in this moment. It really shows you the weight of the moment for these disciples. And what I love here is that Peter is not saying, where else would we go? He says, to whom else would we go? His faith is not in Christianity. It's in Christ. It isn't in the truth of the words that Jesus had spoken. It's in Jesus. Peter knows his best day in his career with all the things that he used to have, but without Jesus. It was not anywhere near as good as his worst day, having nothing but being with Christ. You see, following Jesus requires faith, and it offends unapologetically. It demands a commitment to satisfaction in him. There's no Jesus plus stuff. It's just him. The gospel is offensive and divisive. There are two paths. Only one leads to life, and the truth that causes some to turn away causes causes others to run and to hide in him. And then in verse 70, uh, the first half of it, Jesus answers them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Jesus is affirming Peter's faith. See, he'd already told the group that the Spirit gives life and that God had granted access to him. This was a different message. It was not a repeat message. This was a personal and private message that Jesus is reminding them that he had handpicked each one of them. He isn't chasing after that exiting crowd. He had shared the good news. He had fulfilled Daniel's prophecy. He had come as our Savior. It was a crowd who had pursued him this entire chapter. But Jesus had spent the entire chapter loving and teaching his disciples in relationship. He knows them deeply and knows each of them well, including Judas, who he references here in verse 70. It is a personal message of affirmation to those disciples. And church, I hope you hear that deeply, personal message today. It is not just the truth 
of who he is. Amazing on its own. But he'd already spoken about that to the crowd. James says, even the demons know who he is. This was Jesus assuring his followers of who he is and how much he loves them. He loves his own, and he is all about relationship. Hear that today. The gospel has been shared, but he wants Josh to know that I picked you. Elizabeth, to know that I picked you. Jason, David, Ken, Shannon, I picked you. Daly, Sarah, Andy, Caroline, Kim, I chose you. Did I not choose you? Put your name in there. Put someone else's name in there that needs to be encouraged today. Jesus took the punishment, all the weight of our sin, our grumbling, our deserved punishment, all of our fears at the cross. And all the while, he was thinking about how he had picked us. Incredible. He is worthy of worship above all things as our personal Savior. Earlier I shared at a Psalm 10 where the psalmist is crying out, looking for the Lord, seeking the Lord's presence. And I want to circle back to his words in that same chapter as he worships in the midst of feeling that lack of presence. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is on earth may strike terror no more. Even as a psalmist is longing for God to appear to him, he recognizes who God is and he worships him. He lives in that tension. Peter doesn't say he's going to stop grumbling. He doesn't even say everything is fixed. We watch him fail Jesus a few more times after this interaction. But Peter says he's going to hang in there. And Jesus doesn't correct him. He assures him and invites him to look forward, to look at that time when every tear will be wiped away forever. The pastors are going to be talking about worship for the next several weeks. And I ask you and I invite you, bring your family groups into your own struggle to worship our God in the season. I'm going to struggle at times to trust God with my finances, my marriage, my parenting, my work, and even my daily bread. I think you all might too. You may grumble about your circumstances at times. Maybe it's your broken heart, your loneliness. Maybe it's your marriage, your divorce. But like Peter, if your family group were to turn to you and ask you, do you want to leave Jesus? Can you answer him that you will still follow the Holy One of God? Because guys, to whom else would we go? Um, at the end of my trip, uh, I was invited, not commanded this time, <laughs> to give everything else away uh, that I brought to Cape Town. And it was such a joy at the end of my trip to just empty my bag because I had watched God empty me out and fill me with his faithfulness in that season as I walked uh, that year in Cape Town, South Africa. And it was just a small, nothing act of worship, uh, but just such an awesome way to watch God work in my life. An immeasurable act of love. He had sacrificed everything for me. This was nothing. And here in our context at Antioch, he invites us every Sunday to worship him. 
to hear from him, to gather throughout the week, and to share our evidences of his grace in our lives. Throughout the month, we get to serve as eyewitnesses, acts of blessing, like serving at food pantry, feeding people, serving at soccer ministry, getting, connect, getting to connect with people, providing a very practical means to love people, but with a much more important message, to personally point them to the one who we worship and be reminded that he loved us and he has picked us. And it's not because of your bank account. It's not because of your income or your title. Those are temporary things. It's not because of how nice you keep your house, how nice your car is. Those things are temporary too. It's not because of how many people retweeted you, liked your TikTok video, your Facebook post. Those will not be eternal. They are no help at all. It's simply because he picked you. May you have the assurance of his love from the one who is worthy to worship. May it carry you and provide the endurance you need to press on in worshiping him. The Holy One of God is worth enduring this world for. And so we remind each other that on the night he was betrayed, Sorry about that. (laughs) Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and said to his disciples, This is my body. It is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he, he, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, This cup is the new covenant, marked by the shedding of my blood. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink from this cup. You are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come forward, break off a piece of bread, and dip it in the juice. Gluten-free bread will be available on your right. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to examine yourself and remember and come forward in just a moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this sacred symbol is not for you. We would just ask that you not just take bread, but instead take Christ. He is so much more than anything in this world has to offer. There will be folks in the back here to pray for you. I'll be back there uh, with anything that you may have a need for. And regarding prayer, I just want to say, people, these guys, they love you. These folks love you in the back, and they love Jesus. You shouldn't be embarrassed to pray in church or be ashamed of your burdens. Trust me, I have struggled with addiction. I've spent half my life wrestling with depression. I have lived fully in the world. I am a sinner, and I have sinned. You shouldn't be embarrassed to share your brokenness in this place. Let people carry your, your burdens with you. Let them love on you. Let them encourage you. As you come for communion, I just want you to hold on to that precious assurance that you are the ones he turns to who Jesus is enough for. Let me pray for you all, and, and we'll, we'll come forward. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for you. God, I pray for those that may be carrying distractions or burdens today, God. Uh, there's so much uh, in this church.
in this world uh, that distracts us from worshiping you. God, I pray uh, you would quiet that noise in this time. Uh, that those that, that come forward, God, that they would sense that relief, that they would be reminded of how much you love them, that you handpicked them, and that you brought this group into this church today, God, to hear from you. We thank you for that. We thank you for your love. And God, we worship you this morning. God, for those that don't know you yet, God, I pray you would break down those barriers, God, that they would release those chains today, uh, that they would know you and call you Lord and Savior. We thank you for each one of them, uh, that they are here. And and maybe there are those here that, that have walked with you and maybe have lost their way in this season. God, I pray that they would sense your presence fully, sense your love this morning. We just love you and praise you, God. We worship you above all things. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.